This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, when I was a kid, Saturday afternoons would find me at a theater in my hometown of London, Ontario, and if there was an Abbott and Costello playing, well, that's where you'd find me. Bud Abbott was born into a circus family, and he managed burlesque houses before he met Costello. Spent much of his time backstage studying the top American comics of the day, including W.C. Fields, Burt Lahr, and the comedy team of Bobby Clark and Paul McCullough. Now, in 1923, Abbott produced his own show, Broadway Flashes, in which he played a leading role in order to save the cost of an actor's salary. He spent the next decade perfecting his talents as a straight man and working with a number of partners, and that included his wife, Betty. Now, as a young man, Lou Costello greatly admired Charlie Chaplin. In 1927, he moved to Hollywood, where he worked as a stuntman, and after an injury, he quit stunt work to perform in New York Bolesque. That is, burlesque. Although he had never worked on stage before, he quickly became one of the top burlesque comics and learned the hundreds of standard comedy routines of the circuit. And those stock routines allowed comics to work interchangeably with a variety of partners, often on a moment's notice. And in such informal pairings, Abbott and Costello performed together sporadically through the early 1930s, before their official teaming in early 1936. The team acquired a national following when singer Kate Smith booked them on her radio show in 1938. Now, the boys needed someone to play a butler in tonight's show, and they couldn't have found a more likely actor to play the role. Tonight's guest is Arthur Treacher, who was an English film and stage actor, active from the 1930s to the 1960s, and known for playing English stereotypes, especially butler and manservant roles. In the 60s, he became well-known on American television as an announcer sidekick to talk show host Merv Griffin. Remember that? He lent his name to the Arthur Treacher Fish and Chips chain of restaurants. Well, let's see what hijinks Abbott and Costello get up to tonight with Arthur Treacher. The Abbott and Costello Program, brought to you by Camels, the cigarette that's first in the service. Camels stay fresh because they're packed to go around the world. Listen to the music of Freddie Rich and his orchestra, the songs of Connie Haynes, Cliff Nazaro, tonight's special guest Arthur Treacher, and starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Costello, what are you doing in the bathtub? Ah, what do you think I'm doing? I'm taking a bath. 
What are you doing with your underwear on? The water's cold. Oh. <laughs> Will you get out of that tub and put your bathrobe on? I've got the bathrobe on now. You're wearing your bathrobe in the tub? Sure, I don't want to get my shoe wet. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. What are you doing in the bathtub on Thursday night? Ah, but I forgot to tell you, but Lynn Barrett, a beautiful movie star, is coming here for dinner, and I'm going to have a big swanky party. Oh, are you expecting people? Certainly I'm expecting people. What do you think I'm going to do? Have a flock of cows? Not flock. Herd. Herd what? Herd of cows. Of course I heard of cows. I'm no dummy. I mean a cow herd. Well, I can't have a cow herd. I just say nothing to be ashamed of. All right. All right. Let's say no more about cows, please. I'm not in the mood. What mood? A cow mood. Who cares if a cow moves? Maybe you watch its little kittens. All right, look, look, forget about the cows. You don't know anything about cows in the first place. Who don't? Wait a minute, do you know what a cow gives? No. A cow gives milk. No, she don't. You've got to take it away from her. I, all right, we understand that. That's the first thing you've said right. You take the milk from the cow's udder. I beg your pardon? The cow's udder. The cow's udder what? Costello, you take the milk from under the cow. You mean the crankcase. Oh. That's the that's the thing that's fastened to the cow's skin. No, 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 not skin. Hide. Why should I hide? I didn't do nothing. No, 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 no. Hide on the cow. How am I going to hide on a cow? Listen, a cow on listen, top of listen, a cow. Just a minute, please. Listen to me. Hide, hide. A cow's outside. Bring her in. Let her listen to the program. Oh, what? Wait a minute. Quiet. Here comes Ken and Mrs. Nile. Oh, hello, Mr. Rabbit. You too, Costello. Are you surprised to see me? No, ma'am. I was expecting a cow. <laughs> what? I, I mean, another kind of a cow. What? Another kind of a cow. Oh, Costello, I'm not a cow. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Whoa! <laughs> Will you stop that, Costello? That's no way to insult Mrs. Nile. You know a better way? <laughs> now, just a second, Costello. I'm getting red in the face. Where are you getting the blood? <laughs> Are you calling my Kenneth anemic? Why, just look how trim he is in that blue suit. Why, he looks like Gainsborough's blue boy. He looks more like Ginsburg's bellboy. Oh. A pretty shade of blue, ain't it? You're a fine one to talk, Fatso. Me fat? I just dropped 20 pounds. You didn't drop it far enough. Oh, now, let's stop fighting, please. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Niles, Costello invited Lynn Barry to the house, and he needs some help with dinner. Oh, well, I might be able to help. I've been cooking for 12 years. You, you ought to be well done by now. No, 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 Get that kisser on that kid. You see, you see, Mrs. Niles, what Costello really needs is a butler. Do you know where we can get one? Well, uh, my uncle runs an employment agency. Well, that's fine. Here's the address. Just go over there and ask for my uncle. Oh, that's very nice, Mrs. Niles. What's his name? You go. Ask for him. Yes, ma'am. I go, but who do I ask for? She told you, you go. I know I go, but I gotta ask for somebody. Well, I told you to see my uncle. Uncle what? You go. Now, don't say that again. Don't tell me I go. Stop saying I go when Mrs. Nile says you go. All right. You go, and I won't have to go. Costello, you don't understand. My uncle's first name is Hugo. Oh, why didn't you say that in the first place? What's his last name? Guess it. Why should I? What? Why should you what? Guess his name. She didn't tell you to guess his name. Mrs. Niles, didn't you tell me his name was Hugo? Yeah. What's his last name? I said guess it. That's what I thought you said. <laughs> Is it Murphy? No. Is it Jones or Smith? No, no, Costello. Guess it. Costello, I told you for the last time. You go guess it. And you go you guess go it. You go jump in the lake. Close and all. I'll do nothing of the kind. Come, Kenneth. Well, Costello, they're mad again. <laughs> now you've burned your bridges behind you. 
That's okay. I won't show with my coat on. Now, come on, nonsense. You've got to have a butler for the party. Now, uh, here's Mrs. Niles' uncle's card. Uh, call him up. Boy, this sure is for a, a funny phone number. Uh, what does it say? Established, 1903. <laughs> that isn't a phone number. It's right here on the card. Oh, nothing of the kind. That's the year he started the employment agency. He founded it in 1903. Oh, he founded it the business? Who lost it? Nobody lost it. But how could he founded it it if he didn't lost it it? Costello, I said he founded it. Can I help it if you don't speak good English? Yeah, Costello, please, you should be ashamed of yourself. Mr. and Mrs. Niles were kind enough to tell you where you could hire a butler. I was uh, kind enough to explain how to contact the man, but did you appreciate it? No. All you do is stand there and give me silly answers. Oh, I'm a bad boy! And you, you certainly are. Don't tell my scoutmaster on me. Well, I, I should. Oh, if you do, he'll take away my scout pins. Gee, Abbott, anything but that. I have one pin for courtesy. I got one pin for bravery and one for safety. Wait a minute. I can see the pin for courtesy and the pin for bravery. Where's the pin for safety? It's holding my pants up. No! Johnny's orchestra play a Cole Porter favorite, I get a kick out of you. Costello. <clears throat> you go guess at employment agency is right down this hall. Now, let me handle this, and I'll get you a butler. Now, look at it. I'm just expecting Lynn Barry. Why do I need a butler? <laughs> but a butler in your house will make you more stable. Stable? Certainly. Just picture a butler in his livery. What I got, a house or a livery stable? Did I? 
You don't understand. He'll make you distinctive. He'll give your house a certain air. What am I hiring, a butler or a scout? Oh, come on, shut up. Now, come on in the employment agency and let me do the talking, please. Oh, please, you've got to get me a maid. My maid quit today after 15 years. I've lost my maid. I've lost my maid. Hey, mister, mister, why did your maid leave? She caught me kissing my wife. <laughs> Costello, look, please. Never mind him. Let's talk to the clerk at the desk. How do you do, gentlemen? What can I do for you? Well, I'd like to hire a butler. You'd like to hire a butler? <laughs> oh, you mad, impetuous boy! <laughs> All right, brother, don't knock yourself out. I just want to hire a butler. You just want to hire a butler? <laughs> What am I laughing at? I mean, I... <laughs> oh, you fool. Why don't you ask me for a date with my wife? Okay, but one thing at a time. <laughs> now, I'll have to ask you a few questions for my file. First of all, do you work in a defense plan? No, I don't. Then how can you afford a butler? <laughs> do you own any steel mills? No. Polo ponies? No. Steamship companies? No. I'm in a rut, ain't I? <laughs> now, listen, Clark, we're in a great hurry. Haven't you got a butler we can hire? Well, there is one, just... But right now, he's over there. Mr. Morganville, the millionaire, is talking to him. Now, listen, Judson. I'll give you five nights a week off and a thousand dollars a week. All right, make it seven nights a week off. I'll give you my car. I'll do your laundry. All right, you're hired. Now, please stop twisting my arm! <laughs> Nobody's looking. Lucky fellow, he's got a butler just by a twist of a wrist. Uh, uh, luck. Clark, this isn't helping us. We've got to have a butler. Lynn Barry, the movie star, is coming to dinner tonight. Lynn Barry coming to dinner? Oh, so you'll be putting on the dog. No, we're having roast beef. <laughs> what kind of talk is that? Come with me and see our manager, Mr. Nazaro. Uh, right this way. Mr. Nazaro? Yes? This is Mr. Abbott and Mr. Costello. Costello would like to hire a butler. You want to hire a butler? Good heavens, man. Don't you realize that butlers can us a salary to meet? And he can't reach the stuff from Orca, but it's the stuff from Orca, so available It isn't that I want a basis, say, for the boss's salary could pay this horse for the veteran's salary. And maybe he'll be reclassified. <laughs> you don't understand. Look, Brown, didn't you tell Mr. Costello that the castle raises saw the bikes of bikes? Hasn't got any forks? And didn't you tell him that the reason salary price of the horse is man? Didn't you tell him that? Yes, I did. You didn't say that, brother! <laughs> Now, don't interrupt the man. That's right. I'm trying to show you that that's the world of race to me. Now, not that the Caspian or Rain will fall asleep at You get the picture I'm painting? Yeah, but you smeared it up in the middle. <laughs> Costello, he's trying to tell you that today most people are doing their own work. Even Cary Grant washes at his house. Yes, Costello. Do you wash? Certainly I wash. What do you think I am, a slob? <laughs> no, no. All the picture stars are washing. I passed Dan Sheridan's house yesterday. And I saw her washing her calibrates, her rosses, salt, and fill the field of <laughs> And even a little jibbity bitty fish is over a Don't you wash your twang and fill pork and fill the I do, but the buttons break off. <laughs> Never mind your buttons. Never mind my buttons. What do you want me to do? Be a pinup boy? <laughs> Mr. Costello, let me ask you a question. A question. When you had your last butler, did you pay him Babbitt did it? No, I only paid a Babadit. <laughs> Why didn't you pay a Babadit then? Because she didn't get it. 
Look, Costello, now let's not get nasty. I'm trying to tell you there's a shortage of men. Butlers today aren't just a cat for horse with a celery to hypnic rails. Why, even my butler cats have horses trade. I tried, I said to him, governors, did you ever sell a horse of eight? Bring my condren, bring my satellite, bring my corsets. And he won't be the mail face. You see what I mean? Frankly, I'm a little confused. Why don't you pay attention to the man there? That's what's confusing me. Well, I could put it another way. You could? But would you? Now, just a minute. You can't come in here and tell me how to cater horses, salary, bail, box. Or even horse and wedded. When you know that I'm the only one who tries to say that, what do you think I am, a castrant? <laughs> it's men like you that cater horses, salary, will have everybody cross with them in a salary base. And there's a hidden gin gin, did it, did it, did it, did it, did Ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. It's fuddledy duddle. All right, brother. What would you have said? I have said, Resainty's Foskett did. It's a calibrated moment. That's the word I've been trying to think of. Get out of here. The new rhythmic kit, if that's the way you want it be. If that's the way you want it, baby, baby, that's the way it will be. I'll wait for you forever, baby. Wait because I'm sure that you're waiting for me. The day will come, I don't mean, maybe, when you'll be mine, but definitely, if that's the way you want it, baby, baby, that's the way you will be, time's a-wasting, wish that we could hasten to the man with the collar turned around. I'd like to do it right away, but you'd rather wait. And so I'd say, if that's the way you want it, baby, baby, that's the way you will be. I'll wait for you forever, baby. I'll wait because I'm sure that you're waiting for me. The day will come, I don't need maybe when you'll be mine, but definitely if that's the way you want it, baby, baby, I'll be waiting, sitting here waiting, baby, that's the way it will be. Costello, come here. What are you going to do? Here it is, the night of your big party for Lynn Barry, and you haven't got a butler. Yes, but we did get a cook. 
Uh, no, I'll but... call up the kitchen and tell her what to do. Well, be careful what you say now. Hello, kitchen. This is Mr. Costello. I want to talk to my cook, Mrs. Blank. What? She did? At four o'clock in the morning? Wow! How much did it weigh? Nine pounds? At her age, too. How do you like that, Abbott? Mrs. Blank got up at four o'clock this morning and ate a nine-pound turkey. No! I never heard of such stuff. Costello, that must be Lynn Barry. Lynn Barry? Don't get excited now. Take it easy. I like her because she's a big girl. I know, I know. All right, now, don't get excited. Boy, boy, at last. I'll go to the door. 50 pounds of ice for Mrs. Smith. Mrs. Smith lives next door. Hey, do you mind if I leave it here at her husband's home? Right. (laughs) I guess her husband don't like ice. Right. Oh, look. Oh, that was a pipperoo. Well, Costello... You'd better forget about Lindbergh. I, I don't think she's coming. Oh, no? I'll bet that's her now. Prepare it up for me. Hello, Lynn. Oh, Lynn, my darling. My precious one. My loved one. My own little Snooky. I love you. Boy, oh, boy, have I got the wrong number. <laughs> I can't stand this waiting. I'm losing my mind. Oh, behave yourself. You're not losing your mind any more than I am. That's close enough. Hey, here. Yeah. This must be Lynn Barry. I'll answer it. Darling, come into my arms. I say, aren't you a bit high-strung, old boy? (laughs) Costello, look who it is. It's Arthur Treacher. Now, Mr. Treacher. Now, that's my line. Uh, Please. Uh, I just want to find out his professional business. That's right. How do you do, Mr. Treacher? Find out if he is a lifesaver. Quiet. You know what I mean. No, no, no. Thank you. How do you do, Mr. Treacher? I'm Bud Abbott, and this, uh, this is Lou Costello. I'm glad you told me. I thought it was cabbage cooking. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Treacher. The only reason I don't poke you in the nose is because I'm bigger than you. It so happens that I'm bigger than you. That's a better reason. Now, <laughs> look, Mr. Treacher, don't mind Costello. He was expecting uh, Lynn Barry, uh, and he's down in the dumps. Yes, that's where she told me I'd find him. Now, wait a minute, Treacher. Mr. Treacher to you, punk. Mr. Punk to you, Treacher. Now, stop that, Costello. I want to know what he's doing here. What are you doing here, Shorty? All your information, you poisonous person. I am Miss Barry's butler. Before she sets one dainty foot in this hovel, I wish to inspect the premises, the service, and the food here. Here? Yes, here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Costello. Oh, you let uh, Now, listen, Costello. Up on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, that was a bit nice. Up on. 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 Don't talk like that. Over here. Yes. Lou, don't you understand? Over there. Well, don't you understand, Lou? Somebody better talk besides me. Now, wait a minute. Come here, Lou. Don't you understand? He's English. He's, uh, he's English? Yeah. If he was any more English, he couldn't talk at all. Well, he... Over here. No, 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 look, look here. Look here, Treacher. Who are you to come in here and question Costello's official standing? After all, I sprang from nobility. And you didn't spring far enough. Ah, no, 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 no. No, no you no. didn't spring no, 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 far no. enough. I'll have you know that my family is very prominent, socially. 
My father has a country seat in Wembley and a city seat in Devonshire. Your father has two seats? Yes. Does Ripley know about it? Costello, be careful how you talk Abbott, to Abbott, don't you start talking uh, like that. Now, wait a minute, please. Make it more pronounced, Mr. Oh. Costello. All right, all right, Costello. That's better. Be careful how you talk to Mr. Treacher. He's a polished gentleman. He sounds like he's shellac. <laughs> you don't understand. Now, look here. I'm from Eaton. You're from hunger. You're impossible. <laughs> You're absolutely impossible. Hey, you're nuts. I am. Over here. No, 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 no. <laughs> Mr. Treats is an educated man. He's a linguist. Yes. You I... told me he was English before. Yes. A linguist. Linguist. What's the difference between linguist and English? Never mind. Wait a minute. I can't say out. either word yes, anyway. Man, will you? Oh, yes, perhaps you. I can make you understand his French. Parlez-vous français? Oui, oui. Bien. <laughs> Vous avez étudié dans un pension? Ah oui, oui. Combien de temps habitez-vous dans le tour à Paris? Oui, oui. Hey, Abbott, I bet he runs out before I do. <laughs> Quiet, will you please? Now, look here. You might as well know it, old boy. I'll never permit Miss Barry to attend your dinner. Oh, yeah? There's Miss Barry now. Hello, Lynn, my darling. Oh, it's me, Mrs. Niles. Am I late? Yeah, by about 40 years. <laughs> what is this, witch's night out? Costello, please. Boy, you sure get around. What do you got, a C-card for your broom? <laughs> oh, stop, Costello. Uh, Mr. Treacher, yeah. I'd like to have you meet uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ken Niles. Which one is Mrs. Niles? <laughs> now, wait a minute, what? Preacher. What? I don't go for that. Not so loud. After all, which one is Mrs. Niles? These people are friends of mine. Ooh. All of them are friends of mine. Which one is Mr. and Mrs. Niles? How do you like that, Abbott? Good. Good for you, Costello. You keep out of this, Kenneth. <laughs> Kenneth, are you... <laughs> Kenneth, are you going to stand for this? Costello is trying to make a man out of me and a woman out of you. Maybe we'd be happier that way. <laughs> Will you please stop those fights? I've heard enough, Costello. I could never allow Miss Barry to associate with an illiterate like you. Archie, Treacher, don't keep Lynn Barry away from my house. You don't seem to really know me. I don't seem to really know you? <laughs> you corpulent little corporal. You realize you just split an infinitive? Why, does it show? <laughs> no, you dummy. He's correcting your grammar. You made a mistake. Who made a mistake? Now listen here, Mr. Treacher. When the adjective modifies the predicate adverb, then the pronoun of the subjunctive mood modifies the dangling participle, leaving the infinitive unsplit. Do you know what I mean, Treacher? Certainly. Then explain it to me. <laughs> Costello, you're not going to get Lynn Barry this way. You know that. Gee, Mr. Treacher, I gotta have Lynn Barry here. I'm in love with her. She's my whole life. She means everything to me. I gotta have her. I can't live without her. Does she really mean that much to you? Yeah, she's the only one that can string my yo-yo. <laughs> Very well, if she means that much to you, let me see how you'd make love to her. Now, just imagine that Mrs. Niles here is Lynn Barry. What an imagination you got, brother. Do what the man says. Take Mrs. Niles in your arms and kiss her. Oh, oh Miss Rabbit, in my whole life, I, I've only been kissed by two parties. Yes, ma'am. The Democrats and the Republicans. 
That's enough. I thank you, Mother. Uh, Mother, um, come here, my proud beauty. Oh, I'm not proud. You're no beauty either. Well, Castello, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and kiss her. Not me, creature. If you know so much, you kiss her. I kiss her. Now, look here, that is, I mean, I really, Owen, I mean, honestly, you can't really expect... Oh, what have you got to lose? There'll, there'll always be an England. <laughs> oh, come on, Mr. Over here! Yeah, 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 yeah. Quiet, quiet. Now, Mr. Treacher, you show Costello the proper approach to kiss Lynn Barry. Take Mrs. Niles in your arm. All right, I'll do it. I have her in my arm. Now, you put your What face... do I do now? You put your face next to hers. Yes. Now, your cheek to cheek. Yes. From where I'm standing, it looks like a dead heat at Bay Meadows. Quiet! Now, now what do I do? Now, Treachy, you kiss her! And now what do I do? Give her back her teeth! Each of the four camel shows honors a yank of the week, sends 300,000 camel cigarettes overseas, a total of more than a million camels sent free each week. In this country, the traveling camel caravans have thanked over three and a half million yanks with free shows and free camels. Camel broadcasts go out to the United States four times a week, a short wave to our men overseas and to South America. Listen tomorrow to Jimmy Durante and Gary Moore, Saturday to Bob Hawke in Thanks to the Yanks, Monday to Blondie. And next Thursday, to Abbott and Costello with their guest, Miss Lynn Barry. Good night, folks. We're a little late. See you next week. Good night, folks. Be sure to tune in next week for another great Abbott and Costello show with our guest, Lynn Barry. And remember, camel cigarettes make the best Christmas gift of all. Whenever you buy them, wherever you send them, camels will be fresh because they're packed to go around the world. This is Ken Niles wishing you all a very pleasant good night from Hollywood. Stay tuned for Voyage of the Scarlet Queen next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Ready for a little seafaring tonight? Well, we're all set to board the Scarlet Queen. Entry to catch Scarlet Queen. Position 132 degrees 6 minutes west, 25 degrees 15 minutes north. Gyro compass course 275. Wind fresh, sky fair. Remarks departed island of Muninjima at 4.15 p.m. after unlogged movement of vessel. Reason for move the Spaniard and the Lascar pirates. <laughs> Mid-afternoon, 15 days after we dropped the Hawaiian chain behind us that we raised on the horizon the mountain peaks of Muninjima, and our appetite for cool, sweet water and fresh fruit. The island lies some 500 miles east-northeast from the Bonin Group and had served as a Japanese base during the war. My pre-war charts due to Jap secrecy were incomplete and inaccurate, but just before sunset when we stood around the southern tip, we did find the anchorage shown on them. It was a small half-moon bay protected by a line of breakers, 
foaming in over a barrier reef. A little north of the center of the reef was our pad, wide enough for the queen to slip through with good steerage ways, friendly currents, and a light hand at the wheel. The water over the side took on a shallow look as we approached under power, and Gallagher went to the bow with a hand lead to measure the depth. He heaved the lead in line forward, and his readings came rolling back. Five fathoms, leaving a few to spare between keel and bottom. But shallowing to less than five as we closed on the pad. Four and a half fathoms, and the teeth of the coral started to show through the white froth of surf. And the currents washing back from it took the bow of the queen from port and pushed. Five the more! Four! Easy, Tipper, easy! I fought the wheel, and for a moment the scarlet figurehead seemed to rest on the reef. And then her head swung into the narrow channel. The shoulders of the reef whirled by us on each side. No bottom at 15! No bottom at 15! We were in. The deep, quiet water. After our anchors were secure to the sandy bottom, Gallagher and I dropped into our dinghy and rowed toward a small pier that jutted out from the beach. At water level, we were able to see a cluster of half a dozen tin roof frame buildings set back from the shore and shaded by a grove of banyans and cocoa palms. We shipped our oars, started to make fast when we heard footsteps on the pier above us. I looked up, straight into the muzzle of a 30 caliber rifle. A single watery china blue eye looked at me from behind the sight. Go back to your ship. Wait a minute. My ears stuffed up, or did you say go back to our ship? Get your ship out of the bay. You are welcome here. We need stores. This is no social call. We need water and fresh fruit, or we wouldn't have stopped. He's drunk, Skipper. Here, let me take that pop gun away from him. Wait a minute, Red. I think he means it. I think he's... Red! Red, are you hit? No. But you're right, Skipper. He does mean it. The guy's stark raving nuts. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen Written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman And starring Elliot Lewis The Scarlet Queen Broadest ship to sail the seas Bound for uncharted adventure Every week a complete entry in the log And every week a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. I stood there in the dory, looking up at the rifle and the man behind it. He was a dissipated 35, dressed in rumpled white duck trousers, no shirt, and a linen jacket streaked down the front with liquor and food stains. I was trying to figure how drunk he was and whether to make a try for the rifle myself when a movement shoreside caught my eye. And what a movement. She walked across that strip of beach as if she owned it. Emmett! Emmett, what are you doing out here? I don't want them ashore. Give me that rifle. Give it here. Too many of them here already. Give me that gun. I'll shoot them and then the others. You drunken fool! Go on. Go on or I'll use it on you. All right. We haven't got trouble enough. We'll have it now. I'm sorry, gentlemen. My husband has been ill. Please come ashore. You're more than welcome. 
Well, Skipper, what are we waiting for? That's a foolish question, Brett. I'm Nora Fairfield. Welcome to Mooneen Zemus. I'm sorry your first greeting was so unpleasant. Yeah. What does your husband hunt with that cannon? Men. He hates them. But uh, you don't, hmm? Certainly not. That's why he does. You said he was sick. What's wrong with him? Nothing you have to worry about. But I think I should warn you. You aren't the only visitors on Mooneen Zima. For an island that gets a steamer twice a year, we're doing well. I didn't see any boat in the bay. He wasn't as good a sailor as you are. He lost his ship on the reef a month ago. He should have stayed home. I'm beginning to think so myself. I let Red fight his own way out of that one. Something up ahead of us interested me more at the moment. He's taken us into the compound, and we were maybe 50 yards from the residence house. It was a typical island bungalow built up on stilts with a deep veranda across the front of it, but it wasn't the house that interested me. It was a group of bare-chested, brown-skinned East Indians squatting on their heels at the foot of the stairs. They looked as though their short leave had lasted too long. And the curved knives they wore looked even meaner than their faces. Their eyes followed us as we went past them and into the house. Two men were sprawled in wicker chairs, and neither of them was her husband. The dark one, built along the lines of Rocky Graziano, grinned up at it. Only number The girl save you from the husband, too, no? Captain Ramirez, Captain, uh... Carney, Bill Carney. And Mr. Gallagher, my first officer. That's good enough. I'm Dr. Mission. Thomas Mission. You needn't tell me I looked apart. I've been told before. Captain Ramirez is the man I told you about, Captain Carney. You men talk. I'll go see if my husband has enough bottles to keep him comfortable. Hmm. <clears throat> uh, that was tough, losing a ship room, huh? Eh? A mouth day. Sometimes bad, sometimes good. This time bad. But who knows? Maybe things get better today. Better, he says. With that heathen crew of yours squatting on their heels outside, ready to sink those murderous knives into our backs if we so much as look cross-eyed at them? Don't talk so much. But I'll let you die on this island. Sure. That's your plan. You think you'll buy your way out of here in the Scarlet Queen and leave me here to rot? As one Irishman to another, Mr. Carney, this pirate has not got the price of a passage. He will have to excuse this doctor. <laughs> Too much sun. But if you take me, Carney, I have money in the States. Stay, like the money you stole in Manaquari. He will be in jail before he pays. <laughs> Listen to the man. That boat under the reef. Where do you think Captain Ramirez came by such a vessel? He stole it. And if you don't look sharp, that is enough! <laughs> Now I help you out, doctor. You're a little rough on your passengers, aren't you, Ramirez? <laughs> uh, him? He lived too long in the tropics. His brain is fried. Maybe I should have butted in and saved him a sore jaw. The Scarlet Queen isn't taking on any passengers here. No room. Hey, how big is your crew, Connie? Eight seamen. <laughs> That's funny. That's my crew, eight men. But our crew's carrying guns, Ramirez, in case you got any ideas. I didn't see anything but knives on those Laskers of yours. I don't worry. I've got gun down in my bungalow. But to see here, I prefer the knife myself. <laughs> Eight-inch knife blade vibrated in the table in front of us. He was so fast, I didn't even see where it came from, but there it was. 
He flashed us a smile full of oversized, overpolished teeth, then tugged the knife out of the wood and left. This is a great island, Skipper. I'm glad you brought me here. I just wish there was enough daylight and tide left to get us through that reef and out of here. You think he's crazy enough to try and take the queen? I don't know, Red, but I'm not sleeping tonight. Neither are you. We'll keep our eye on him from two places. I'll row you back to the ship and I'm staying ashore. Wait a minute, Skipper. You're pulling your rank on me. I met her, too. Forget it, Red. There's a husband and Ramirez in the picture, too. By the time I'd taken Gallagher to the Queen, broken out enough rifles to arm the crew and rode back to the island, night had fallen. And the first quarter moon was rising above the tops of the palms. I stopped when I hit the beach to get my bearings, decide which way to go. The threat was real enough, I was sure of that. Island shipwreck has turned sweeter characters than Ramirez to piracy. And the only way he or any of us could get out of there was on the decks of the Scarlet Queen. He was facing a crew of natives filled with frenzy for a home thousands of miles away. I was two legs out on a voyage with a $10 million prize at its destination, somewhere in the South Pacific. I'd fought before and I was ready to fight again to keep the Scarlet Queen underway. I found a shadow, black in the faint moonlight, made my automatic handy at my waist, and started counting the minutes for the rise of sun and tide and the chance to get away from this place. The first 20 went by slowly and quietly. Then I heard a rustle in the brush behind me. I took a quick step sideways, snapped my automatic from my belt, and whirled the faces out. Oh! Oh, Captain Carney, you... Oh, why waste time on an act? You didn't surprise me. Came looking for you. You just startled me a little. That puts us on common ground, except for the surprise. Why were you looking for me? Because I've got to get away from Emmett. I want to go with you. Talk sense. I can't take you with me. You could, Phil. I don't know what's going to happen if I stay here with that decaying pig. I'm afraid I'll kill him. And I'm afraid he'll kill me. I've got to get away from here. So look at me. Please, Phil. Take me away from here. You don't touch me, gorgeous. <sighs> I can hear you saying the same thing the same way to Emmett about getting away from some other sucker. <laughs> the only way you're going to get away from this island is on a tramp steamer. Oh. oh, Phil, I didn't mean that. Really, I didn't. I'm just going crazy, that's all. Phil, if you know what kind of a woman I am, can't we let it go at that? Then I couldn't hurt you. So, so, just for a minute... Don't be afraid of me. I, I hit you, didn't I? Because you knew me. For a second, I hated you. But now I don't. That's too bad. I feel more comfortable when you do. Anybody on any island would have given her A for effort and the same for her injured pride exit as she left my little plot of beach. I had half a hunch and maybe half a hope that she wasn't through pleading her case and she'd be back. I sat there through the next hour trying to keep my mind on the queen's cabin lights bobbing slightly out in the bay and to be ready for any movement towards her. There was only a split-second awareness of someone behind me, then a brown forearm was across my throat. 
I got a glimpse of a second figure slipping around in front of me. It was a turbaned last guy. I kicked out at him. The last thing I remembered was the smell of chloroform and the cloth he jammed across my nose and mouth. And the deep, gasping breath my lungs forced me to take when the forearm relaxed a little. That and the sound of oars being put in oarlock. Somebody jumped into the dinghy and headed for the Scarlet Queen. Then the beach, the island, the whole world pulled away from me and I was too tired to care. thing I coasted back on was the light that leaked in through my eyelids. Then the nausea was throbbing in my head. I got my eyes open long enough to realize that the brightness was coming through a window. It was daylight. Broad daylight. That's when I tried to get up and fell back on the cot. Ah, Connie. You're Irish, right from the brink of consciousness. Welcome back to a world of beauty. Yeah. When I can remember of it, I'm sure I like it. Help me up with you, Doc. I've already helped you up. If it hadn't been for me, you'd be well on your way to enriching the soil here, Ramon and Jim. Hold it, Doc. Take me a while to collect these things. Here, Ramon, you ample. If you must think, this will help clear it up. My ship, Doc? It's gone. But you're wrong. When you came into the bay out there, in the situation here, it was no longer your ship. It was common property among desperate people. You and I... Happened to lose. My mate Gallagher? Who knows? Even common property himself. Shared between three or four types of flesh-eating fish. My headache's stuck. I can't get very far beyond that yet. I'll make you something. They brought you here last night. After they plucked you off the beach. With my chloroform, by the way. Uh I was supposed to kill you neatly and silently. Slight swelling in your right arm. The point of injection. Uh Due to some last-minute loyalty to our common heritage, I lighten the door. Thanks. Yeah. Think this. Yeah. He might say that you have been one milligram away from a heathen grave. My payment, of course, was to be passage out of here with Ramirez. You see, I'm here. As a result of my dishonesty to him, no doubt. I feel sorry for you, Doc. Indeed, I feel the same thing myself. Now, if you'll get up on your own two feet instead of lying there like a sick dog, I think you'll feel better. Get a breath of air if you can find some moving. I was halfway to my feet before his last words got through the dizziness. There wasn't any air moving. I stumbled to the door and looked out. The palms and banyans were motionless. That meant one thing to me. The Scarlet Queen had to be under power to make any way. There wasn't enough breeze to even rattle her halyards. My wristwatch read 9 a.m. An hour and ten minutes after the earliest tide she could have crossed the reef line. I knew that if I could get high enough, my ship would still be in sight. I didn't know why I should torture myself. Maybe it was like hiding in a corner to watch your girl marry another guy. But I pulled what was left of me together and started up the mountain to see where the queen was going with somebody else. The summit was a jumble of rock. I scraped my way to the very top and stood there. Twelve miles of rolling, folded hills and valleys stretched to the north. Three miles of gentle slope to the south. And beyond, in a great circle, empty sea horizon. Not a sail. Not a mast. Not a speck in sight. Then I went down the mountain and back to the compound. 
It wasn't until then that I felt the new atmosphere of the place. Yesterday had been filled with chattering birds. Now there was nothing but the muttering of the surf against the reef, a leaden sky and humid, oppressive air. I went to the residence house to find Nora, hoping she'd know where our mirrors would make for her. I found her room and knocked. There wasn't any answer. I knocked again, then I went in. Like I say, Connie, mal suerte. But uh, you look surprised to find me waiting for you. After the build-up, what else? What is the build-up when it all falls down? Where's my ship? I wish I knew. I wish I knew so well I was on it. How did you mess after your boy smothered me on the beach? Uh, I make big mistake. I warn you, don't ever trust a woman. Thanks. She took the dinghy right after my boys make the big mistake with you. Yeah, big mistake. They should have smothered her. I think maybe somebody else, too. Who is gone from the island? The girl, yes. Your chief mate, no? And your Scarlet Queen, I saw her go through the reef. What do you think? From here, that's hard to figure. Where's your last guard crew, behind me? Don't worry. My boys crawled away someplace this morning. They say sunrise to red. They say wind going to blow today. You should have crawled with them, Ramirez. This is going to be a good one. See, I know this wind. I think we got out of this house quick. This is no good place for typhoon. You got a better place in mind? Uh, you make good questions, Connie. I say the wind makes us good friends when we were good enemy before. We get out of this house. Wind. 
Maybe both of us are lucky to be here instead of drowning on your matchless house, Connie. I don't think much of the choice myself. Well, I do. Right now, I'm glad I trusted that woman. Shut up! What for, Professor? You think he doesn't know what kind of... Shut up! All right, Connie. I know what it means. But I'd like to find her. The trail leads down to the beach at the bottom of the crater. It was a steep trail. And now and then, when we'd go through a clearing in the dense growth, I began to get a picture of the place. It was a volcanic crater. And the sheer sides made a complete circle with a circumference of about a mile and a half. We were about three quarters of the way down when I caught the glimmer of water. Another hundred yards, and we broke out of the brush and hit the beach. That's when we all stopped. That's when the whole thing took on the feel of a dream. But I was awake, and there with just her bow in sight in the tiny inlet was the Scarlet Queen. I didn't have time to reach for any answers because suddenly with the ship back on the scene, we were no longer allies. Our common enemy was forgotten and Ramirez and I were face to face. But he had a knife and I had an empty holster. I think this is far enough, Connie. Yeah, for one of us it is, Ramirez. Why don't you think this way? You take the island and the woman and I don't hurt you. The beautiful traveling night, Connie. You'll be happy, I tell you. You've been in the tropics too long yourself, Ramirez. Fever talk. Huh? No, I tried to make it easy for you. I go on your ship. I tell you, maybe you die like Mitchell in this storm. What you think? Well, you make it sound good, Ramirez. You make it sound good. Stay out of the Fairfield! The only thing I knew about his knife draw was that he used his right hand, and that's what I made for. taken, but it was long enough to make some changes in the scenery. Our dinghy was pulled up on the beach. Nora was standing there. Next to her was Gallagher. I thought maybe you'd need some help, Skipper, but you did all right, didn't you? I got a few things out of my system, but I got a few more. Now, take it easy, Skipper. You're tired, so calm down. How'd you get here? Wait a minute, Skipper. Come here, you. Fred! Fred, please, Fred! He told me you sent her to the Queen last night, that you were selling her passage to Kobe. Uh. I believed her, because she put me wise to Ramirez. He and his Laskers tried to board the Queen of Dawn, but we were ready for him. She said you knew it, too, and were hiding out till it was over. You know how right she was. And then this morning, when I got a load of that typhoon sunrise, she told me about this place, and we came around. And a good thing, too. Yeah. If we'll put the whole thing off balance. The Queen would never have lived in that bay on the windward side. What's the rest of it, Skipper? I was supposed to be dead, and she was sick of Ramirez. Phil, Red, please let me say something. But you, Gallagher, you're supposed to sail off into the sunset with her. Phil, listen to me. You mean I can go into the sunset with Wait you? Wait a minute. You'll have to choose between her and me, Skipper. Well, when the chips are down, you're really more attractive, Red. <laughs> Glad to hear that, Skipper. I'm blushing with pride. And now shall we leave the fair fields to their island... What's left of it? Yeah. And to their Ramirez, what's left of him? Yeah, Skipper. I think we've wasted enough time on Moon and Jima. 
few hours before sunset, the outside circle of the typhoon has passed, and we headed out of the crater base. I didn't bother to take soundings, but I did sketch an addition to the faulty charts of the island. Under power, we threaded through a narrow channel that the Japanese Navy had dredged from the almost landlocked basin to the open sea. We rounded a rocky point and swung the scarlet figurehead on our bow until she looked out on the course she'd been born to follow. Neither of us knew where that course would lead. When we were free of the rocks and I felt the breeze on my right cheek, I cut the motor. Stand by to make sail! The peaks of Moon Inn still held us in their lee, but the edges of the northeast trade sweeping around them were enough. We'll take her a little closer on when we make the north end of the island. That's an island I want to see sink behind the sea. Why you? You didn't have a tough time. Uh, you don't know, Skipper. That woman, she thinks all men are the same kind of man as her kind of woman, if you know what I mean. I think I do, and it reminds me of a friend of mine on Motomachi Street in Kobe. We'll have to look her up. Oh, no, not me. A glass of rice beer is as far as I go into Kobe. Drink, Skipper? Yeah. Hey, what's this? There's lipstick on this bottle. Sure. What do you think she was? A savage? <laughs> Lipstick never hurt you, did it? Ah, uh, go on. Have a drink, Skipper. After you, mate. After you. Log entry. Catch Scarlet Queen. 5.30 p.m. Miles traveled. 6,215. Mainsail and mizzen reefed. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney, Master. The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Saint, followed by Sherlock Holmes. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.